Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now here's a message from one of the pastors here at The Rock. Of all things to talk about, we are smack dab in the beginning of a Revelation series. Okay, I was curious if I was going to get like screams like, oh no, or if I was going to get cheers or excitement, but I'll take, I'll take eager anticipation. I'll take an eager anticipation. I'll take that. Uh, because Revelation is a funny book. Uh, because when, when you bring it up with some people, they always have some kind of reaction. I don't know very many people that don't have a reaction to the book Revelation. And oftentimes it's like, ooh, that's kind of weird. Or I have family members that say, yeah, that one's scary. I don't read that one. <laughs> and the crazy part is this, as, Reverend, as Pastor Teresa was teaching last week, you know, it, it's wild because the whole book starts saying, if you read this, you will be blessed. And I don't, like, that's like the least scary thing in the Bible is being blessed, right? It should be one of those things where it's like, oh, I, I'll take two, please, right? I'll, I'll do it twice. And this is where we need to begin to really be discerners of the word. I, I, I believe one, one of the problems is this, is we read the book of Revelation with, with the flesh. Instead of being able to read it, listening to the voice of God. Because the Spirit says, if you dive into this, then you will be blessed. And oftentimes our flesh gets in the way. And the problem is this, is that, is that when we become scared by reading things like this, when we, when we begin to have fear or fright or we're, end, we're, we're scared of the end, the problem is this, is that of all the characters we find in the book of Revelation, fear comes when we focus on the wrong ones. Because it's a revelation, a revealing of Jesus. Right? Right? And it, 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 if I can know more about Jesus, about who he is, then that should create the greatest amount of encouragement and hope and life. So the problem is this, is that if you find yourself confused or if you find yourself, if you find yourself scared or afraid of whatever may be coming in the future or what you see in the word, then, then it's because we're not being revealed Jesus in it. We're allowing ourselves to get caught up in the losing side. And anytime you begin to feel that, just stop and say, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? And then you'll find him. And you find out that every time Jesus is mentioned, he's always winning. And when you begin to recognize, oh, that's, that, that's the side I'm on. All the chaos and mess that's going around all of a sudden begins to fade away because you recognize there you are in the middle of the storm wrapped in his arms. The one who rides in on the horse, right? The hero is, in this story, the hero is not riding off into the sunset. He's coming into town, right? He ain't leaving. He's just getting started, right? And I love it because at the end of Revelation, it may be the end of the Bible, but it's the beginning of a brand new story. And it only gets better from there. So jumping into this, um, Revelation opens with these seven letters to these seven churches. And these seven churches all have these, these, these contexts, these situations that are going on. And Jesus, because he's speaking, because he loves his people, he says to each of these churches, I need you to know how I feel about you. I want you to know what I see. We're doing a health check. We're doing a checkup right now. I'm taking your temperature. And we're going to see what's going on and what you need to be doing, which is really great because, you know, every, every morning you do that to yourself. You look in the mirror. You see what's jacked up. Ladies, you cover it up. Gentlemen, 
You don't shave that place, you know, and you just let it, let, let the beard hide it, and you're good to go, right? You do that on a checkup on a daily basis, and in a sense, that's what God's doing with each and every one of us here in it. Now, um, as the Holy Spirit speaks to me, one of the ways he speaks to me is he always leads me to two things. He, you know, the Holy Spirit, the way he, way he speaks to me when I read the Word is he leads me to say, what did it mean to them? Because it has an audience. And then he leads me to say, okay, that's what I was speaking to them. Now let's see what I'm speaking to you from that point. It's one of the ways I always read the word. It's the way the Lord leads me when I understand these things. So today, if you don't mind, there may be some Bible nerd coming out, okay? I, it's, I've tried to hide it. It just doesn't work. It's too, the, the force is strong within me. So you might, get a, you might get a couple little tidbits of history here and there, but that's the way I operate. So that's okay. If you don't like it, man, Pastor Joel's coming up next week, and it's going to be fuego, okay? So in the meantime, let's work with this. But before we do, the second church in Revelation, the second chapter, is a church in a city called Smyrna. Yeah, I know, one of those really attractive names, Smyrna. And it's a persecuted church. And as I was studying, the Lord brought to my remembrance some stories of students in my youth ministry. Because I'm a youth pastor, I've been doing it for a while, I've, I've, I've found that teenagers create lots of stories, okay? And uh, God brought me about to this place of remembering some of the stories of my students, especially looking at this idea of persecution. Um, one student we had involved in our youth ministry, he, he, did, he did drums years ago. Um, he came from Indonesia. Him and his family had immigrated from Indonesia. His mom needed medical help and all that kind of stuff. So they came over, got involved with our church. And I remember talking with him uh, one day at a camp. And he was telling me his story, the way he used to live his life. His father was a pastor back in Indonesia. And he would go and he would preach. And it's so funny because they had this little beater car, right? This little beat up hoopty, if you will. And uh, on it, they had just been so wild and out there in Indonesia, they had painted the word Jesus all over their little beat up station wagon. And they would ride it through village to village as he'd go to preach. And one village he had gone through just so happened to be really hostile towards Christianity. And this eight-year-old young man he remembers being in Indonesia, going through this town in this bright, beat-up station wagon that said Jesus all over the place. And he remembers his dad, excuse me, he remembers his dad yelling at him, get down, get down, get down, because the village had come out with bats and knives, and the entire village had seen this Jesus car come in, and he remembers as an eight-year-old hiding in the back of the station wagon wondering if they were going to make it to church. And, you know, pedal the metal. They made it through the village, and his dad got to preach that day. I don't know how they got home. It probably took a different way. But uh, I, I remember him telling me this story in Indonesia, and here he was playing drums for us. What an honor to have this little teenager guy make it all the way across the world at the risk of his life to play drums for our youth ministry. And I remember another young man. <clears throat> See, he grew up in gangs from San Bernardino area, Marina Valley area. He had grown up in gangs, and he had just been, you know, been through the whole, the whole mess. And you know how gangs work. You get, you know, jumped in and all that kind of stuff. And he began to come to church. And as he began to come to church, his life began to change. His demeanor began to change. And he was a big dude. I mean, I, I, I don't know what they had put in, in, in his food, but man... He had them vitamins. And he was this big dude, big 16-year-old guy. 
And he began to be one of those guys that just, a big teddy bear, and he would, you know, worship. You, you would see it on his cheeks. You'd see it in his eyes. And eventually he knew that the life that he lived couldn't stay the same. But as things so happen to be, the only way you get in a gang, well, the only way you get out of a gang is really similar to the way you get out of a gang. You know, you, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of violence, a lot of blood. And he was really nervous about speaking, you know, to his gang leader, whatever. I don't know. I didn't, go, I didn't grow up in gangs. My dad worked in a prison. I, he wasn't in prison, okay? So it's not my, not my world. But he, he knew that he had to make a decision. So he knew when he was going to see his gang leader the next time. And he walked up to him. And before he could say a word, he, had a, he was approached by the leader and said, hey, look, you don't belong here. This, this isn't for you. Look, I know you're just not the same ever since you've been doing this thing that you've been doing. And it's like, I don't want to see you around here no more. Just, just don't show up. Just get out of here. This is the last time I ever want to see you. God had worked a miracle inside of that situation. Not one broken bone, not one drop of blood, not one blow was sent. And the Lord released him in a supernatural way. His last story was a young woman, 17 years old. She went to RHS. And I remember she came with some friends, and I began to say, hey, so what's up? I've seen you the past couple weeks. What's going on? She began to fill me in with her story. She said, actually, this is the first time she had really ever been to church, but she had been believing in Jesus for a while. And the way the story went was this, is that her father was a strict Hindu uh, man, and her mother was a strict atheist. Don't ask me how that happened. I don't know. It's just weird, okay? It just happened that way. Two very strict, different ends of the spectrum. But she was invited to a Bible club at her school in RHS because everybody goes to school. Well, they did back then, before 2020. And there at that Bible club, she had given her heart to the Lord, but she knew she couldn't tell her parents because they would flip. There was one thing you couldn't do, anything, but the one thing you couldn't do is become a Christian. So she would sneak to church at school once a week. And she finally found somebody who she could lie to her parents to and say, I'm going to spend the night at their house. And they would sneak out and go to church. And, then, and mom could never find out. Dad could never find out. And that's the way she lived her life. She would sneak out of her house, 17-year-old girl, so she could go to church. She's went to college. She got involved on there, on fire for the Lord. And well, I guess cat's out of the bag. And when I read stories like this out of the word, it reminds me of what we're up against. You know, our church over the past, the, the church as a whole has been through so many different things. There's been inconveniences. There's been discriminations. There's been persecutions in regards to the way the church has operated around the world, in America, and take your pick. Anywhere, anywhere, um, and, and, the, and the range is massive, and when we see something like this, it's very easy. When we think of the end or when we think of whatever, whatever this world has to offer us or what it's throwing at us, it can get really discouraging. When I think of those moments and those stories, what really comes to mind when I see these type of things in the word as well as in the lives of young people or believers across the world is that the only way to get through hardship is to have an eternal perspective. 
See, if the only thing we live for is right here, right now, what I do or don't have, whatever pain or pressure I have in my life right here, right now, then there's no way I'm going to make it. Life only makes sense. Life only makes sense when you extend it beyond the last day you have air in your lungs. The only way it makes sense. So when we begin to say, why didn't, how come, what about, it only makes sense when you extend it beyond our last day here on earth. And that's the story of the church of Smyrna. You know, all these churches, it goes through these things where Jesus comes in and he encourages them and then he says, you're doing great, but, and then he drops the butt. You got to work on this. Well, Smyrna is one of the two churches that didn't have any butts in this situation. So let's do this. I want to read this scripture to you and then we'll hit the way back machine and we'll go way back 2,000 years ago and then we'll figure out what that means for us today. Revelation 2, verse 8, it says, Now to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this. Jesus speaks and says, These things, I love the introduction, says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works. The tribulation and the poverty. And I, this little parenthesis is nice. But you're rich. Don't forget. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews or not. They are the synagogue of Satan. Woo! Not pulling any punches. So do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Because indeed the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested and you'll have tribulation, troubles, for ten days. But be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. The very thing the world tries to take away, God gives back in greater measure. So good. And then he ends up with this and says, he who has ears to hear... Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Life only makes sense when you look at it in its full measure. Because everybody in this room, everybody online right now, I don't care where you're at, you were born with a forever. You were born into forever. So you see this pattern in this letter. And he says, I know what you've been going through. I know what you've been going through, but be encouraged. Because it's not over yet, right? Talk about a bummer. Like, you want him to say, you're done, way to go. It's like air conditioning and cupcakes from here on out, guys. And he says, but the devil. And suffering's on its way. But again, he says, this is okay because I have a way out for you. And then he says, and then when it's all said and done, you're right there with me. I'm going to share my victory with you. So if we were to take a look at this with an ancient eye, if we were to go back 2,000 years ago into this city right there in Smyrna, in modern-day Turkey, for all my geography nerds, um, if you were to look at it, you'd see exactly what this means. Because each letter is chock full of inside jokes. Uh, That's the only way I can describe it. You know when you're on the inside is when when everybody's laughing and you're not? You're on the outside, okay? So each one of these these letters is, is filled with these descriptions of the city. And it says here at the beginning, it says that these are the things that were first and last, was dead, came to life. I know your works, tribulation, poverty, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews but are not. They're in the synagogue of Satan. And we can begin to look at these things. And these are three things that are really all intertwined in the way it goes. And it's interesting because he says you have tribulation, you have poverty, and then you have blasphemy. And these three things and this city came together to describe the situation they were living in. You see, there was a lot of political pressure. 
Not that we know anything about that. There's a lot of political pressure in this part of town. This was one of the most revered towns when it came to Caesar, the king of Rome. It was one of his favorites because they made him the biggest buildings. So you know he loved the place. And the problem was, every year you had to make these dedications to Caesar. That was an expectation. You could worship any god you want as long as Caesar was one of them. One of them. And the expectation was, if you were going to be a good citizen, you would worship Caesar. And the slogan was this. There is no king but Caesar. That was the expectation. There is no king but Caesar. But when you're a Christian, the problem is you don't serve that king. There is actually the king of kings, the first. Oh, and he's the last. He's kind of like all over it. And Christians refuse to say it. They refuse to buy into political slogans that compromise their faith. I'm not, I'm not going to meddle. 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 But when our worldly affiliation becomes stronger than our heavenly affiliation, then we have a problem here. We're on the brink of idolatry. And Christians loved being good citizens. Matter of fact, that's one of the reasons Romans hated them, because they were better at being Romans than they were. But they wouldn't worship Caesar. Both ends of the political parties, I mean Roman society, had their slogans. But when it came to the Christian, the one that they always leaned on, there's no king but Jesus. And that was the tribulation that got them killed, thrown to the dogs, burned at the stake. And this all happened because they were the outcasts. It's funny because this city was a really wealthy city. It was one of the wealthiest cities in the area. It was high, it was high income, high class, high education. But the Christians were the ones that were poor, which doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Except for the fact that to be a Christian meant that you basically were giving up your business. If you were a tradesman, if you were a sculptor, if you, if you built tents, if, 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 you did, if you were a blacksmith, whatever the case was, they had these unions, they had these trade unions, and that's how you got your business. You got your best customers from these trade unions, and you had the buddies, and you could rub elbows, and you knew the guy who knew the guy who could get you the, the deal that you wanted. But the problem with the trade unions is every trade union had a god that they worshipped. And if you became a Christian, all of a sudden you could not be a part of those powerful trade unions because you had, re had to refuse to worship the God of the blacksmith, the God of the art, whatever, take your pick. So they basically, they basically exited from that part of society. But Jesus reminds them in the scope of eternity, any sacrifice you make for the kingdom guarantees you wealth in his eyes. Anything you give up, the enemy has to give back in recompense. And God gladly gives you beyond your wildest dreams. There's a double blessing in anything you give up for the kingdom from both ends, the enemy and your Lord. And that's what he reminds him here in this place. And then lastly, this weird blasphemy thing. Well, here's the reason the first two happened. Back in, back in the day, the, the Jewish people were were like, they were like the oddball in this society. They wouldn't worship Caesar, but they were so stubborn. Rome was like, just give them a pass. I don't want to deal with it. I don't need another riot. So Rome gave them the pass to, to not worship the other gods. That's how they were able to do what they did in Israel. 
And when Christians showed up on the scene 2,000 years ago, it wasn't a big deal because they were just weird Jews, <laughs> right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, these are the, there's the Jews, and then there's the really loud Jews, right? The weird Christians, I don't get them. But they, be, but they were so evangelistic, and they began to welcome everybody into the church, the, the Jews began to get a little frustrated, and they said, we don't know these people. They're not with us. So the Romans said, wait, taxes. I mean, they, they said, well, wait, wait, they're not with you? Well, then let's persecute them because they're not playing by the political. They're not playing by the social. They're not playing by the educational. They're not playing by the rules. So we're going to put our finger on them. So they began to get kicked out of the trade unions. They began to get persecuted for not worshiping Caesar. And they were left with no one to defend them but Jesus, which is not a bad position to be in. See, that's the situation in Smyrna. That's the way they were living because they were abandoned by the people that were supposed to love them, that they were there to love. They were kicked out into a place where they were persecuted. They couldn't operate their businesses successfully. Try to find out if you can see that anywhere in the world today. And then they, they wouldn't play by the political rules because they knew that anytime you try to play a political game, you lose. But when you recognize who really sits on the throne, doesn't matter what happens in politics, you always win. So when you look at that with ancient eyes, you begin to see exactly what's happening here for us today. It says in Revelation 2, 9, it says, I know your works, I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, and I love it, but you're rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews, but they're not. You know, it's funny, because when, when it hits the fan, and boy, does it hit the fan, it does one of two things. It becomes really confusing. Like you've heard the saying, the fog of war, right? It's just everything, you, you can't see three feet in front of you because everything's chaotic. Or, or to the one who expects it, everything becomes really clear. When it hits the fan, people have those two reactions. They get confused and they freeze or they become hyper-focused and vigilant. You know, I, I live in Vinicaipa right now, and we had those fires about a month or so ago, and we knew the evacuation orders were coming. We could see the flames on our hills. And I told my wife, I was like, hey, we better pack a bag, just in case. And it's funny that when the fire's on your hill, when you can smell the smoke and you can feel the whoosh of the helicopter blades over your house, it's amazing how much stuff you don't need. Don't eat it. When everything hits the fan, if you're ready and prepared, everything becomes really clear. Everything I needed fit in two boxes. Everything I needed had four pair of pants with a person in each of them. And the dog was questionable, but we took her anyway. And that's all I needed. Everything I needed fit in two boxes, four people, and one dumb dog. Everything became hyper clear. And I was able to leave the house in moments. Because instead of, instead of getting flustered and stuck in the fog of war, the tribulation made everything really clear. And that's what Jesus is doing here in the scripture. He says, you're poor, but come on now, let's look at this again. You're the rich ones. These people out here in the rat race, seeing how much debt they can accumulate, impressing people they don't like, they're the ones who are really poor. But you... 
you've given up the rags and taken up the riches. And the people that are making fun of you, the people that are persecuting you, they think they belong to me, but they're really, they're really just Satan's puppets. So why would you worry about them? Everything became really clear when the trouble began to knock on their doorstep. And see, that's where we need to be. Ask the Holy Spirit to begin to clear the table for you. Say, I know something's coming. Because if it's not here yet, then it'll be here one day. That's like one of those promises we don't like to claim. And it's going to happen if it hasn't already. Begin to take stock. Look in the mirror and say, all right, God, what, what's the clarity? What do I really need? How much, do I, how much can I lose before I give up on you? What's my price? What's my price, God? Because he... He says, have courage, be faithful unto death. That's the price. Oh, everything? All right, all right, all right. I can do that, I can do that. I mean, it's what he did for us. So, I mean, it's the least thing we could do. The least we could do is die for him. I like how Ephesians says it. It basically says, everything can seem like it's evil, so walk smart. It says, look carefully how you walk. Not like the unwise, but like the wise. Why? Because the days are evil. So if you have any deep evil days in front of you, then it's a matter of perspective. Don't, 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 don't take that label. You're not poor. You're rich. You're, you're not put down. You're not being blasphemed because, because they don't even have a reputation to make fun of you. Everyone knows the people that are hating you, on you are the ones that aren't doing anything. That's why I don't pay attention to those voices. And then he says this. He says, this is all the garbage that's happening. And then more garbage is going to happen after that. And he says, the way you fight it is with courage and faithfulness. Courage and faithfulness. Courage and faithfulness. Courage and faithfulness. One's for the moment, right here. It says, right here, I need courage. And the other one's looking forward, faithfulness, because I know, I know he's never given up on me. It's it, courage for today, faithfulness to get me to tomorrow. He says, right now, for all the stuff that's been happening, take courage. Do not fear. Oh, and remember, he's faithful, because remember at the beginning, he's the first and he's the last, Okay. And if you're faithful unto death, that's okay because he's giving you the crown of life. Because they can't take, they can't take anything that he can't give back to you. Anything the enemy can take is something he, God can easily give back to you. So it's never really lost, just misplaced. Kind of like you and me. So in this, I love it because he says this, he says, uh, do not fear any of the things you're about to suffer in verse 10. The devil's about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested. You'll have a tribulation for 10 days. Reminds me, reminds me of Daniel, how they were tested for 10 days with the king. And he said, do it. I dare you. Come on. I dare, come at me, bro. And Daniel and his friends, they, they choose to not participate in the king's extravagancies. For 10 days, they end up better than anybody who did. They were tested 10 days and they came out better than the competition. See, these are the moments that we need to recognize that if you're being pressed, if you're, if you're feeling crushed, then take courage. Don't be afraid. Why? Because the God who's with you will be faithful to the very end. Ten days. Now, I don't know if it's ten days, but that sounds like long enough time. You know, anything more than 30 seconds when you're in pain is a forever, okay? And he says ten days, ten days, which tells me two things. It'll be long, but it won't be for forever. I tell people this, I can do anything for a little bit, <laughs> right? I, I, I could run for a little bit, 
I can do exercise for a little bit. I can go on a diet for a little bit, right? Not forever, but I can do it for a little bit. It's the same thing. God's saying just a little bit, just a little bit. It's been a long time, a little bit longer. I like that. That's always a good answer. And the kids say, when are we going to get there? A little bit longer. In a minute. But you said a minute ago. I know. And in a minute, you ask me again, I'll tell you it's another minute. Almost done. First Peter says this. What credit is if you're beaten for your own faults? I love it. Peter's just so blunt. He's like, hey, don't whine if you do something stupid and something bad happens to you. What'd you expect? So who cares if you take your beating patiently because you did something wrong? Peter is just the best. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this, this is commendable before God. I like when people say, hey, don't get in trouble. I always say, you know what? Everybody needs a little bit of trouble. I, that's the youth pastor in me, the rebellious youth pastor. If, you're, if you don't have any trouble in your life, you need some mischief. You got to stir something up for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Let's get in trouble for all the right reasons, right? Hey, 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 let me get in trouble for doing something for God, okay? Let me push the boundaries. Let me, let me go a little further because I need a little bit of trouble in my life. If my life is too boring, it's time to stir something up, Jesus. Bring me some trouble. And it says, it continues in chapter 4, 14. He says, if you're approached for the name of Christ, blessed are you because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you if you are reproached they're blaspheming your name and god's name you're blessed because glory is upon you and god doesn't share that very easily on his part on their part he's blasphemed but on your part he's glorified perspective right courage take courage in this moment because he is faithful it'll get you through today into tomorrow because it, it won't last forever it's only 10 days and then you've got to recognize this. And this is what, where we've been this whole time. In the end, Jesus always gets the last word. You know those people. My wife was at the store just the other day, and these two wonderful ladies almost got into this big fight. And it was so funny because she was wondering, like, are they going to throw blows? Like, do I have to get my camera and put this on Worldstar, right? Like, what's going on here? And uh, she, she, she was watching these two women at, like, a Ross or something begin to yell at each other. And it's so funny because... It eventually got to that point where it's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you know where we get to that point where we have nothing left to say. You want the last word. You don't want to be, you don't want to be the last one who didn't say something. You have to have that win. It doesn't happen with that way with Jesus. Because without a doubt, he was there before us, he'll be there after us. Like, there's no, there's no beating him because he's the one running the game. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's not where it is. You know, if, if, you were, if you were to see a football field and you have two teams fighting each other, Jesus is the umpire. He's the referee. He can't lose. He just tells you who does lose. See what I'm saying? He's bigger than the game. And that's the place. That's the team we get to be a part of because Jesus always gets the last word. I love how Paul says it in Philippians 1, verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. I'm blessed living. I'm blessed dying. You can't steal my blessing. Do whatever you got. Take anything you can because I can't not be blessed. I'd like to see you try. 
Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he says this in Revelation 2.8, where we've been here, we've been camping here. These things say the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. He who has an ear at the very end in verse 11, let him hear what the Spirit says. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. This city in Smyrna, about 300 years before this was written, didn't exist. It had been wiped off the map. The emperor came through and said, oh, this looked like it was a nice city. Let's bring it back to life. One of the pictures of that city was the phoenix. And if you watch X-Men, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or, you know, Roman mythology. It was a bird that came to life. It resurrected. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I don't think that's the the resurrection we're talking about. This city, it needs to get knocked down a notch. It's nice, but it ain't that nice. He says, you want to see a resurrection? You want to see a comeback? Matter of fact, he says, don't call it a comeback. Because I, I never left. He says this. Real life is not found in power, prestige, or being in this city. It's found by being a part of the heavenly city. You're a citizen of heaven before you were ever a citizen of Rome. Jesus lays it all out. and says, no matter what, we win. Matter of fact, I, I, I tell the teenagers this all the time. There's only one way a Christian can lose. There's only one way. Guaranteed. No matter what the situation is, I don't care. And that's if you quit. It's the only way a Christian loses is if you quit. Because God can't lose. And even, and even if you get beat up pillar to post, you get toe up from the flow up. But if you hang on to the hem of his garment... He will drag you across the finish line. There is only one way to lose at this thing in life, and that's to let go. So as long as you have a grip in you, you see, like we talked about courage. Courage is not about volume or aggression. It's about determination and tenacity. That's what courage is. It says, I'm not going to let go no matter what. That's the only way a believer can lose is to release from your hand, his. Because he won't let go of you. And today, that's the promise we have here. He's the first and the last. If you die, he's coming right through with the crown of life to put you right. And at the end, when you feel like you've got the short end of the stick, he comes through and presents to you the full picture. You find out that you've been rich this whole time. So today, we need to take a perspective that's an eternal perspective like this church is. Because God refuses to let someone be kicked when they're down. He's been guarding it and watching over them this, them this entire time. He says, I know, because I'm right there with you, pulling you through. I like how Psalm 23 says, he walks me through the shadow of death. That's what he did with those three teenagers at the very beginning. The drummer, the former gang member, and the girl who had to sneak her way to church. He walked them through those moments and was faithful to the very end. Hey, if you got something from God today, let's give him a praise. I love it. Revelation is a lot of fun, man. You know, it, it's, there, there's, I remember as a 16-year-old reading through the word, and I remember coming to this place in the book of Revelation, and it describes Jesus as this lamb that was slain for us. And it just, it tore my heart. Because I saw 
in the word, in the, in the scriptures as a 16-year-old young man. I remember seeing it mentally in my heart. I remember seeing the price he paid. But at the same time, even though he went through that, he was never in a losing position. He was still victorious. He still wore the crown. And it was such a crazy picture. And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you feel like you're losing. Maybe you feel like you're being kicked. You've lost this. You've lost that. Maybe you're just running out of things to lose, you know? I got good news. And the good news is Jesus is the restorer. When there's a lack, when there's a breach, he comes to patch it. When something's dead, he comes to resurrect it. When something's missing, he's found it. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.